Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk about some tips for higher yields in wheat. But, you know, as I was thinking about this, I go, okay, here are my biggest things. Drainage, fertility, weeds, insects, diseases. Uh, you know what? It's the same exact thing for every crop. So anyway, I don't care what crop you raise, or even if you don't raise a crop, you've got, uh, let's say, a pasture. I kind of look at pasture as crop. Or, I mean, anything that you have for plants, it all comes back to these things. It's managing the soil moisture, fertility, weeds, insects, diseases. Sure, there are a few other things too, but this is probably what we're going to spend most of our time focusing on today because this will help you raise higher yields in wheat as well as other crops. If you've got a question for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening in your farm right now, our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. So we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute because we have a lot of mailbag questions to catch up on. Darren and I have been real busy here the last couple of days doing a lot of training with agronomists. This is one of our big things that we do each year. And the last couple of days we've been training about 150 agronomists from across the country. It's been a lot of fun. And when we talked about wheat in particular, um, I'll, I'll, I'll get to these five things and just some, some key points that we've made. The drainage thing, a lot of wheat is raised in areas that don't have a lot of moisture. So you might think, well, drainage isn't that important. But I was showing some soil test results today where I go, okay, we have a sodium problem here. And over here, we have a salt or saline problem. You know what the cause of both of those things was? Improper drainage. We need a tile. And now we, you know, now we're going to have to do some work to get those things fixed. But we got to get the drainage right. So that's unbelievably important. And yeah, you might not have to pattern tile your ground or anything else, but if you got a drainage issue, get it taken care of. Because otherwise, here's what's going to happen. Your kids or your grandkids are going to have a problem long-term that's going to be bad. You can fix that today. You can help the next generation or two generations from now, because don't forget a lot of tile you put in the ground will help you for 100 years. 100 years. Fertility. Biggest thing we talked about over the last couple of days with, with agronomists, I don't care what the crop was, is lack of, lack of K. I said, you know, in a thousand soil tests that we get, every thousand soil tests that I look at, one has excess K. One out of a thousand. 900 are short on K or way short. So 90% of the soil samples that come in here to Ag PhD, they're short on K. That's the number one nutrient that's short. It's not N, it's not P, it's K. Focus on K. And especially when you're in dry country, because again, I come back to with wheat, what do we have? It's usually drier country than when we're raising so soybeans and corn. The big corn and soybean areas get more rain than the big wheat areas. So you need more K. The reason why, you don't have as much moisture. And K Goes, K is the number one nutrient need for almost any crop. It's number one. Look at look at the charts. It's number one, beyond nitrogen even. So if you need all that K, then how are you going to get it into the plant if you don't have soil moisture? You have to have high concentrations of K, and then you'll get it into that plant, even with lower soil moisture. 
Weeds, insects, and diseases, you always have to be scouting. You have to stay ahead of these things. Get it early. I don't care if it's weeds, insects, or diseases. You get it early. You get it just when it's starting, you're going to have much greater success than once it's already overtaken your crop. So anyway, we'll talk about those things and more throughout the show today when it comes to tips for higher yields in wheat. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Got a sulfur question in wheat that came in from Matt, and he said, I'm looking to supplement our sulfur in a wheat crop by adding it to our 32% nitrogen application. Sure. Our fertilizer salesman and agronomist always recommended against adding ammonium thiosulfate when we were using flat fan nozzles. Last year, Ooh. we purchased stream so, bars, okay. and we didn't see any leaf burn when applying yeah. straight 32. Yes. Could we potentially add two to three gallons of ammonium thiosulfate with the stream bars, and would that be beneficial yes. without damaging the wheat? Yes, we do that on our farm. So I don't have any big issue with that. And that's where you kind of lost me at first, Darren, because it was like, oh, we don't put in sulfur. And I'm going, what? Why? Oh, you're talking about broadcasting. <laughs> yes. If you're going to broadcast over the top of the crop on wheat, it's tough unless you really water that down. So either broadcast it and really water it down, like have at least double the amount of water in there for whatever you have for fertility. And then it should be pretty safe. Otherwise, I would, at a minimum, you want one for one. So if you had 10 gallons of fertilizer, you put in 10 gallons of water. But to really make it safe, you go 20 gallons of water. But anyway, otherwise, I, I really prefer the stream bar. Then you don't have to haul that all that water around. Now, here's one other thing you can do. You can put your sulfur and nitrogen, or at least more of it, early on in the season, especially the sulfur. Nitrogen, you don't want to get too carried away early, but you could get more of your sulfur out early if you wanted to. Uh, like ammonium sulfate is something I really like for wheat because it's kind of a controlled release for nitrogen and sulfur over time, especially the nitrogen over time. And sulfur, um, yeah, in dry wheat country, I don't worry about putting it out early. Yes, it's somewhat leachable, but if it's dry, a drier area, not that big a deal. All right, thanks for that question. Got this one that came in from Jeremy in Iowa, in southeast Iowa. So I was wondering if you could explain how nitrogen stabilizers work and what your thoughts are if they may limit the uptake of other nutrients. Do you think we're losing no. any yield by potentially killing off microorganisms that make other nutrients available? Well, I don't think that we're actually doing that, but is it possible? Uh, yes. So what these these microbes are doing is, or, or what these products are doing, is they are going to inhibit the changeover from ammonium, the ammonium forms of nitrogen, over the nitrate forms. And so is that going to kill off some microbes in the short term? Yes. Uh, it doesn't last long term. I'm not super worried about it. I've never seen any data showing it hurts the uptake of any other nutrients. It, Again, it's possible because I don't know how much research on that has been done, but I don't think we're causing any problems. So we are believers in using uh, some of these, these nitrogen stabilizers, especially if you're putting nitrogen out well in advance or at really high rates. We'll get back to more of your questions and also get into our discussion on high-yielding wheat coming up right after this. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. 
We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today giving tips for higher yields in wheat. And Brian made a great point to start the show off by saying, hey, a lot of these tips really apply to any crop that you're going to raise. We, we want to do a great job taking care of the soil. So there's lots of soil things we can talk about from tiling to fertility and so forth, compaction, uh, just just all those kinds of considerations. But uh, wheat is a pretty fantastic crop. There are tremendous yields out there. And for almost every grower, there's room to double their yields if you do things just right. One of the guys who knows how to do that is our friend Phil Needham with Needham Ag Technologies. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir, Darren. How are you doing tonight? Good, good. All right. So when you first came to uh, the United States with the goal of improving wheat yields and helping farmers, uh, you made a noticeable difference and in a lot of cases doubled guys' yields on farms. So for anyone who thinks I'm making a wild claim here, uh, I am speaking to a guy who's done this. And, and Phil, how easy is it? How fast can you double yields for, for guys that have just some easy things that, hey, if we just change a few things here, we could really help? So it really depends on where we're starting from and what kind of limitations that area could have. I mean, most of the areas where we've had a significant yield increase have been in areas that have adequate moisture. So if you was in western South Dakota and moisture is a limiting factor, then it gives us obviously some challenges. I don't want you can double yields in, in dry land country, but assuming you've got adequate moisture... And you can make better use of moisture, even in drier areas with no-till and controlling your, your plant population to the ideal range for the kind of rainfall that you get. You know, you can make some sizable yield increases in, in most areas if you pay attention to the little things. And you mentioned them just a minute ago. I mean, it's sometimes the basic things. 
All right. So you mentioned the little things, and there there are quite a few little things. I know one of the things that you focus on a lot is making sure the seeding equipment is up to par and that, that we're going to do a nice job with the seeding. And for a lot of growers with wheat, I think there's a... Uh, a lot to be desired in this part. I know growing up, our dad would always talk about how many pounds of seed he was going to put out rather than how many individual seeds he was going to put out. And that that's a big difference. Yeah. And if I could exaggerate or elaborate on that just a little bit more, what I'm doing right now is I'm doing stand counts. So basically I'm going out into fields and I'm counting the number of emerged plants once they start to emerge per yard of row. So at random places across the seeding equipment, I'm seeing how many plants have emerged per yard of row. So that tells you two things. Number one, it tells you the number of plants. You multiply it, obviously, to determine the the number of plants per square yard or per square meter, depending where you're from. And that will help you determine how well your seeding equipment has worked, how well your rate selection has as, as, as been taking place to see where your plant population is relative to the ideal range. Now, the other thing that it tells you that's really important is it gives you an idea of the variability within the field. It's pretty common to see guys not do a very good job spreading residue at harvest time. They may have a, they may have a 45 foot head or even a 40 foot head on a combine and the combine spreads residue 25 or 35 feet and it's not consistent even across that spread width. So you've got areas with heavy residue, and you do stand counts in them areas, and you may find you've got 40 plants or 45 plants per yard a row in that area, but then you go to areas with little to no residue, and you might have 60 or 65. So real fast, especially when you're planting at an angle to the residue row, so you can eliminate any variability within the seeding equipment, you get to learn very fast some of the fine-tuning that's needed or the implications of some of the variables in the field and what variability they can cause and residue spread is a good example okay yeah it sure is how about cover crops phil do you find cover crops to to be a a good thing in most cases do you find them to to make things more challenging you mentioned residue but i know there are a lot of guys like to plant into even a living cover if they can We like cover crops in areas where soil loss is an issue, meaning rolling ground, higher rainfall areas, or the combination of the above. They generally get a lot of erosion, so cover crops are really good in them areas. Now, you get into dryland country, western Kansas, for example, you know, there can be some challenges associated directly with cover crops just because they are eating up some of the moisture that you need to raise a crop. So I think moisture in the region that you're in influences the selection or types of cover crop and and the suitability for a cover crop, okay? I know one other thing you've talked about too, Phil. There's so many details here, but one of them, Brian and I were actually discussing this earlier today with some agronomists, was fungicide use and fungicide timing. And we we talked to a lot of growers that are always looking for, let's minimize the trips that I make across the field, but uh, that doesn't always play into the best management practices. What do you find with fungicides? Do you have to be out there often? Can you do stuff in less trips by timing it with other things? What we've seen for many years is when you get into a higher rainfall region and the yield potential ratchets up, 
and then you need to put more nitrogen on to generate more yield because you've got the moisture to generate the higher yields. But where I'm going is as you ratchet up your nitrogen program, meaning you increase the rate of nitrogen, and it's expensive, that's probably a different topic, but it takes nitrogen to make wheat and protein, obviously. So as you ratchet that nitrogen rate up, then your probability of disease increases proportionately or more than proportionately. So as we ratchet up the nitrogen rates, it becomes increasingly important to apply your fungicides. And we generally apply, you know, a cheaper uh, fungicide at full flag leaf emergence, but then we'll go in there with a premium product like Miravis Ace at flowering if you're in an area, again, higher rainfall, and you've got a, a high probability of fusarium because we can't let fusarium hurt the yield and quality. So in most regions that we work with, again, if you've got adequate moisture, we're going in there with a, a good product at, at flag leaf and another premium product at fusarium timing. Now, if we've got early foliar diseases, then we're going in there at four, five, six leaf, okay? You know, you mentioned some different growth stages out there. What do you find as you start working with growers? Do growers understand a lot of those growth stages, or, or is that something you have to do a lot of coaching on? You know, when we start when we started first working with growers, they wasn't comfortable, or they 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 wasn't very good talking about growth stages. But as we've worked with some of these producers for thirty years. You know, they're they're all about growth stages. They're all about the timings of different products. You know, they'll say, well, you know, the wheat's at 10.51. We need to get this fungicide on in the next couple of days. So it, it comes with time. It comes with, you know, tutoring, if you want to call it tutoring, okay? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I know it. It's all it's all good to be speaking the same language on this. And, and like you said, the communication with uh, a consultant or a scout or, or just everybody else on your farm to make sure you get that timing right. So many of the top growers that we talk to say timing is the biggest thing. They, they often say, we're using the same products you are. We're just doing them at a little different timing or more. we're being more fussy about our timing. Yeah, they used to have a saying back in England that said that the difference between a good farmer and a bad farmer was a week. But anymore, <laughs> you get into fungicide timing for fusarium, you know, the difference between good suppression and minimal suppression might be two days. So I've since revised that statement to the, the difference between a good farmer and a bad farmer could be two days if you're referring to fusarium suppression, okay? Oh, that's great stuff, Phil. Uh, we're talking with Phil Needham with Needham Ag Technologies. Phil's got a lot of great material, does does a lot of coaching and consulting and so forth, too. Uh, you can check out everything at Needham Ag Technologies. Get a great website. Phil, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing some information with us, and good luck here heading, heading into the winter months. All right, and you guys. Good luck. Thank you. We're talking about tips for higher yields in wheat on our show today. Uh, we're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back after this. Looking to upgrade your productivity now and take control of your cash flow next season? Check out CanDo Financing on Case IH tractors and hay tools today. Discover amazing rates on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, 
and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, save on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Make this season your most productive yet. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Talking about tips for higher yields in wheat. Man, there are a lot of great ideas out there. There are a lot of people doing things different. And one thing that's been fun is Brian and I have gotten a chance to travel around the United States, travel around in Canada a bit, travel around uh, internationally too. So when you get into these different wheat growing areas, everybody does things just a little bit different. And you can pick up little bits and pieces as, as you listen to others. You can even do it in your own area. It doesn't seem like there's uh, hardly anything in agriculture where everyone agrees. We're all doing things a little bit differently. And you know what? There's there's some benefits to this and benefits to that. So it's good to, good to get those ideas. If you'd like to share any ideas you have, 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line. Let's head out to North Central Oregon. we got Josh with us right now. Josh, thanks for calling in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, <clears throat> I have a question on... Uh, all applying zinc. Uh, I I started doing soil tests a couple of years ago, and then started preparing the soil test to yield. 
and I'm finding that where I have a little bit higher zinc levels, I my yield's a little bit better. Awesome. Um, so if I went out to, I'm in a wheat Kim follow rotation. Would I, if I went, went out and spread some zinc sulfate out in the crop right now, would I, would that be beneficial or are it just better just to go out and do it in uh, the stubble that I'll seed next year? Well, the whole question is, can we get that zinc into the crop in time? And what we worry about with zinc is it just doesn't move very well in the soil. So we're we're in favor of doing let's let's call it a very little bit of foliar feeding. Um, if you were to maybe add, let's say you were going to go out and uh, stream bar a little nitrogen and throw just a little bit of liquid zinc with that, that would be okay. But when you start talking bigger rates of uh, of zinc sulfate dry, I mean you could certainly put it out and it doesn't hurt anything, but what I'm sure you're thinking about two things. One, I'm going to spend all this money because fertilizer is high. And maybe, you know what? Fertilizer might be cheaper uh, next year. I don't know. Nobody knows. The other thing is, is it actually going to do me a lot of good this year? It's probably not, but at least it would be out there. And if, let's say, you had above average rainfall and, you know, you, you luck out and you get a little bit of that zinc into the crop, it, it's okay. Plus the sulfur that you're putting out with that. Granted, it's not a lot, but it's some sulfur that goes in that zinc sulfate that uh, that that definitely could get into that crop this year. So, I, I, I mean, I, you I, yeah, I wish it was already out there and it was already tilled in so I knew it was going to get into the crop, but I, I might consider taking the chance and at least doing some. But I, I, I can certainly understand if you look at it and you go, wow, zinc sulfate's kind of expensive and maybe it'll be cheaper next year. Maybe I'll just uh, try it then. I, I could see that that way too. Yeah, I, I have no, nobody in the area has ever actually spread zinc sulfate, so I'm kind of... Uh doing a little experiments sure. uh, see and uh what do you guys use to get to those because i'm trying to get like five to six pounds of actual zinc because that's will put me close to that 10 to 1 you guys talk about sure what what type of equipment do you actually use to get to that 15 to 20 pounds of actual in mean, the product accurately I guess. <laughs> okay. So on our farm, we have just used a regular fertilizer spreader. And for the most part, it's been fine. However, we did have a problem one year where um, we had a little issue with the equipment and we got a little too much on. And so we're pulling some soil tests that fall. I get the soil test results back and I look at it and I go, whoa, how do we get 25 parts per million in this area? Oh yeah, we didn't tell you, but we had a little uh, issue with the spreader and it wasn't working quite right there, but we just kept going. <laughs> and I'm like, come on guys. Uh, so what we're, what we're doing anymore is, yeah, we are using a regular fertilizer spreader, uh, but we have, I think, better controls on stuff now and a way to basically close the gate down a little bit better. Otherwise, there are some people that will get like a little micro bin on their fertilizer spreader, and that's one way to, to go with it. But uh, yeah, it, it can be an issue trying to, let's say you got some high rate fertilizer spreader and you got to really gear it down so you can put on a very low rate, close the gate a lot. Um, it might not be perfect, but let's put it this way. The, the 10 to 1 ratio also isn't perfect. The right ratio might be eight and a half or, you know, to one. It might be 
11 and a half to 1. I don't know exactly what it is, but somewhere around that 10 to 1 is fine. That's, so get that's it the relatively fun thing. close. That's the fun thing about tying in your yield data to what you get mm-hmm. for nutrient levels. You can kind of see for yourself what's working. You can, but my point here is it doesn't have to be absolutely perfectly accurate, but you want it to be relatively close because I don't want you to get three times the amount on, at least in an area of the field, like we did on our farm. That's kind of a waste. Yeah, I mean, all the spreaders that I have access to is they're not very accurate and yep. they're not very accurate at 100 pounds and I don't want to try it. <laughs> that, go out there and do that when I'm trying to get 15. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly what to tell you other than maybe keep looking around, keep talking to some people. If you have to go somewhere, find something, rent it, whatever. There, surely there's going, you're going to find something. So like I say, like we've got a decent spreader. And I know there are some people out there that have decent spreaders that could do it. Otherwise, you're looking for something that's got a micro bin. So you can ask, uh, you know, some some maybe uh, fertilizer dealers or something if there's there's something they've got that's got a micro bin on it so you can get to those low volumes because, yeah, it's a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, we're thinking about retrofitting our air cart and putting, like, uh, hoses and kind of spread it so I can meter it. Yeah, more accurately out of the back. You could do that. But, uh, I just, I just trying to figure out what's. I like to try it first before I go hog wild, and then. <laughs> but it's. <laughs> yep, I hear you. So, you know, the good news here is we know that crops need zinc, and so if you get at least a little bit out there, it's not like it's going to be a disaster for you. Zinc sulfate doesn't cost much money. It's going to last in the soil for a long time. Every crop's eventually going to use it. So, you know, I'm just trying to say it's not like we zinc is a complete waste of money for everybody always. We know crops need zinc. And a lot of people haven't been fertilizing with zinc. So it's not surprising to me that uh, your higher, your fields with higher zinc are giving you more yield. Yeah, because right now I'm like, 40 to 50 to 1 phosphorus of zinc. I'm like 40 pounds, 40 parts per million on average of P1 and like 1 on zinc. So, yeah, yep. Just trying to bring up that zinc a little bit farther. Yep, I got you. All right. Well, hey, Josh, uh, thanks for the call and good luck out there. (laughs) Thank you. You bet. Yeah, it's always interesting to get it in line with phosphorus when your crop is using so many pounds of phosphorus each year to to get those things in balance is a little bit tricky sometimes. And I know when you overdo the overdo the zinc, it takes a long time to, to burn that zinc up. So if you find a, a number that's too much, you want to be cautious about that. Got just a couple minutes here before our next break, but we got Lee Lubers on the phone line here, and I hate to leave Lee hanging. Lee, thanks for calling in. We really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Hey, we're talking about higher yielding wheat, and and we were talking with Phil Needham earlier, and he said, you know, one of the challenges is if you're in an area that doesn't have adequate moisture, and I'm like, I know somebody that runs into that from time to time, that he doesn't get quite enough moisture, but man, you still raise some great yields when you do get any moisture. It seems like you're pretty efficient. Well, is that kind of the name of the game for higher yielding wheat, just being really efficient with water? Uh, And well, part of that efficiency is a great fertility plan. And uh, we we see the payoff in fertility, even with our crops for holding in better for, during drought. Uh, when I was on hold, I caught part of the conversation with the other grower and his challenges on zinc. And we actually, with our dry program, when we're planting in the fall, we run a zinc sulfate product with a little bit of micros in it. And we do that, and it's right there with the seed. And 
Uh, we don't have to put on a high rate. We're putting on 10 pounds. And the impact's been nothing but positive. It's been a really good ROI for us. Excellent. Now, I know uh, there's there's a lot of things that go into this. I know you're awful fussy about your fungicide program. It, it, the other comment that Phil had made is just attention to detail. Is is that kind of the thing? You're doing a lot of the same things other guys are, just being a little more fussy? Yeah, you, <laughs> you got to pay attention to your crop. Uh, you, you can't be a week late, you know. Uh, too much yield can be lost. Yeah, there's there's just so many details here. Lee, uh, we're hitting a commercial break. If, if you want to hang on, we'd love to keep talking to you, but if you got to run, we sure understand as well. Oh, I'll hang on. All right, sounds great. We'll talk more about some tips for higher-yielding wheats coming up right after this. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about tips for higher yields in wheat. And uh, got a great farm around with us right now. we got Lee Lubers. He farms in South Central South Dakota in some pretty tough conditions here. Uh, Lee also works with the Extreme Ag Group, and he's one of the guys that uh, is a wheat expert. And a lot, I know a lot of the other guys in the group talk to you about raising different crops. Lee, do you get a lot of wheat questions from the other guys? Uh, yeah, I actually do. And uh, we're having a friendly competition in our Extreme Ag Group. We're going to have a wheat yield contest. So now they don't get to cheat and ask me for advice. So <laughs> now we've got to stand on our own two feet. So it'll oh, be fun. I love it. I love friendly competition. That's pretty fun. Uh, okay, so what are what are some of the things that you think are a little bit different or, or maybe in, in the area that you farm in that – that some other growers in other parts of the country may think are a little bit different, but uh, maybe they're going to catch on to and realize how good they are? Uh, Our big challenge is getting a fully developed root system and crown before the ground freezes up. And one of the big pluses has been a great fertility plan and a, a fully loaded seed treatment to boost the health of our roots and root mass. And all that comes into play so we're able to get a lot better performance with less winter or less fall growth. That's that is interesting. Getting that root system ready, and you had mentioned that you're putting on some some fertility in the fall as you're seeding out there. If you got that great big root system and you got fertility in place, I can only imagine your nutrient uptake has to be that much better come spring. Absolutely, and then that, then that's also helping for dry weather because larger root mass, healthier root mass. Uh, we're going to have better water retention, better vascular health. We're going to hold in longer in dry weather. We were talking with Phil Needham about cover crops, and he said in the dry areas where that cover crop might be competing, he said, I worry about that, that, that it might take some moisture out. But he goes, man, when we don't have a moisture situation, if we've got a soil loss issue instead, they've had good luck with cover crops. Uh, how big a deal are cover crops, and, and how big is the crop rotation that you're coming through before your wheat? Is that Does that make a huge difference in your area? Uh, usually we work at having a good residue distribution when we combine uh, and then we don't seed too early in the day, so we don't hairpin. So we get good soil to seed contact. That's essential because if you hairpin your crop, you'll never recover from it. Hey, you mentioned that, the time of day and what a difference that can make. Again, we get back to this timing thing. You, you mentioned you don't want to be a week late, but in this case, it might be you don't want to be a few hours too early uh, as you're pushing really hard and all of a sudden you, you got a bunch of hairpin residue that's going to create problems all year. Absolutely. All right. When when you're in crop, you mentioned the the fertility at plant time. Uh, are you doing a lot in crop? Is it mainly just adding a little bit more nitrogen and sulfur, or or do you have to do other nutrients in crop as well? Uh, the bulk of our uh, nitrogen will go on in crop, and our sulfur, and we actually have actually worked with potash too, and copper and uh, other dry micros and had very high success rates with them. 
That's interesting. You know, when you think about not getting much moisture, dry fertilizer can sometimes be a little scary. I know uh, coming out of a, the last couple of dry years here on our farm, we've been a little nervous about how much of that has broken down and gotten gotten uh, available for a crop. Is that something that you might be counting on past year stuff too or delayed release? Or is that, hey, I think we're going to get enough out of this year's application to make a big difference? Uh, kind of all of the above. Uh, that's why we work on our fertility programs with all of our crops to build up our levels. So we know we're not going to have that hidden hunger in the soil. We're not going to, we're not going to be dealing with that. Yeah, it's not a one-year deal, and, and it is impressive what you and Terry have done. It's uh, It's been really neat to watch how you you built up all the crops that you're working on, and, and uh, the effort to be experts in all of them, too, is is impressive. Uh, good luck in your friendly competition. I'm not sure how friendly the competition is if it involves Kelly Garrett, but uh, the friendly competition <laughs> that you've got uh, with the other guys in the Extreme Ag Group, uh, hope, hopefully you win, Lee, and make South Dakota proud. Uh, it'll be fun. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. It was great talking to you today. Really appreciate it. Hey, you too. Let's head up north of the border. Got Mark with us right now in northeast Saskatchewan. Wanted to talk a little about wheat production up there. All right, Mark. So so Lee has some challenges where he farms. I know it's not easy in northeast Saskatchewan either. It isn't. You know, you think about our, our uh, days frost-free, it becomes a humendous challenge trying to attain the high yield targets we're chasing, right? Yeah, that's and for sure. Your, your speakers, your speakers today nailed it really well. And you think about Phil Needham, how long he's been trying to uh, uh, tell farmers what they need to do to attain high yield targets in wheat, and yet many don't adopt a lot of what he's talking about. It's 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 crazy. Yeah, I think the track record, uh, multiple continents, just he's been in so many different countries and, and places, frankly, I don't necessarily want to travel trying to help different growers raising high yields and, and just to make some money. And you know, like you mentioned, the challenges you've got with how many frost-free days you've got in Saskatchewan, especially northeast Saskatchewan, uh, there isn't a lot of time. So the timing has got to be critical for you. What do you find, Mark, is the difference between the guys that are that are getting better yields and better profits in your area? Um, a lot of guys come to me and they say, well, what's, what's something I can do to get high-yielding wheat? And I say, it's not one thing, it's 15 things you're going to probably have to do different. And it'll take time to, to perfect those 15 things to get to those higher yield targets. And, and usually where we start is plant population. And I cannot stress that enough. Plant population is always overlooked before fertility. And I find that is the crucial first step when trying to attain 90 or 100 bushel hard red spring wheat in our area. You know, what I've found interesting, Mark, is is that there's a lot of people that don't do any trial work on it. And when when I talk to growers about that as well, uh, they, they've just been doing things the same, or they're doing the same thing on every acre this year. Even if they are making a change, oh, we're going to change the population a little bit, but we'll do it on every single acre. Uh, what do you? Where would you recommend starting for growers? Would you recommend splitting some fields, doing some trial work so they could see it themselves? Absolutely. Yeah, then that's, you know, proof will, proof will always be in the pudding. And lots of times as a precision agronomist, we'll build check blocks for seeding rates in a prescription and do uh, different uh, seeding rates across different zones and then you know 
in the in the summertime, you know, using drone imagery or the nicest, the best one, I guess, is to look at that yield data cleaned up at the end of the year. And I said, you, sometimes a guy can have inadequate fertility, but if you know, I've seen it the other way where plant population is very poor with good fertility and we just cannot get to first base. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. You, you, there's a lot of like you had mentioned. There's there's 15 different things you got to do. It isn't just a silver bullet answer. And, and I know speaking with the world record grower too, and I found out he is raising less population than we were raising, but he was so focused on every tiller that was going to be in every plant. Uh, just just the detail uh, level was was certainly impressive to me. Where where you're at in Saskatchewan is disease a big challenge? Weeds a big challenge? Bugs? What what kind is the pest problem that's toughest for you? Well, it wouldn't be farming if we didn't have pest issues. And uh, yeah, we we struggle with fusarium head blight here. Um, we you know well just same as you guys down there. You know, it, timing is everything. We have to. Especially here, we can get really wet uh, really fast because we have a high rainfall environment. So sometimes, you know, if uh, weed application is uh, prolonged or delayed a little bit, man, it can really hammer the yield when you get wild oats starting to pop up on us. And, yeah, insects, we, we've really struggled with uh, orange blossom wheat midge. And uh, we don't have maybe the rust issue you guys have, but that fusarium head blight has really cost us in the past. Yeah, yeah, that's a bad one, no doubt about it. We can send some rust up if you'd like, Mark. No problem. We'll just get the south winds blowing, and before you know it, <laughs> you'll you'll be in the same boat as us. Well, Mark, I really appreciate the call, and I, I appreciate you listening to the show too. And uh, we we did we did feel like man that we've had some great guests on here already today, uh, and our phone lines are going to stay open. So hopefully, we'll get some more. Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You guys are doing an awesome job. Keep up the good work. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. We're talking about tips for high yields and wheat. If you want to share some tips from your area, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Purchase your dream tractor and save your cash with can-do financing from Case IH. Save on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, discover amazing rates on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Upgrade your equipment now and keep your cash flow strong next season. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. 
While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We got had we've had a nice discussion here about higher yielding tips for wheat crops, but we've also gotten a number of questions and get a number of soil fertility ones too, uh, including this one that came in from Carrie. I said, I'm sending you a couple of soil tests here. We're in northern Kentucky. Been leasing out some ground for the last 20 years, but but uh, we're going to start farming this ground ourselves, raising corn and soybeans. Been getting 170 bushel corn and 50 bushel beans on average here. I'm just curious if you'd look at these fertilizer recommendations from our supplier. Just wondering, how did they come to the conclusion of the amounts of urea and P and K that that they're saying to put on and how many pounds of 15% boron would I actually need to apply if I wanted to increase boron by a pound per acre on my soil test, if that's possible in Northern Kentucky. Okay. So I have some concerns. Um, let's see. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of stuff. Oh, it's on the back page. Man, I hate that on the back page. So I didn't even see we that printed stuff. two-sided copies, Karen. That frustrates Brian. <laughs> yes. See, Janelle, Janelle is our sister and she's our producer here too. And so she knows Brian loves that. I personally like it when it's two-sided I copies. I think it's an efficient use of paper. No, but for Brian, he's got to flip everything. them back and forth and that frustrates right, him I sometimes. Just, I want to see everything and then I can go from there. Okay. So anyway, here's my number one concern. Um, he said 200 bushel corn, right? 170 bushel corn, 50 bushel Oh, beans. sorry. It, what I'm seeing here is the yield goal is 200 bushels. Sorry. Uh, and fertilizer recommendation is 240 pounds per acre. I'm going, what? We don't even have a nitrate test. How, how can you make a nitrogen recommendation when you don't have a nitrate test? And am I missing it here, Darren, or did you see? Oh, there it is. Soil organic matter, 1%. So that hurts us a lot. We have a lot of soil that's 4 or 5% organic matter, so we get so much nitrogen out there for free. But 240 pounds of nitrogen, look, it's a cation exchange capacity of 10. So that means you can only hold about 100 pounds at a time. So if I'm going to make three applications, yeah, fine. But still, on my second or third application, I'm probably not going to make the application until I do 
a pre-sidrus nitrate test because you might have 100 pounds of nitrogen sitting there already. I don't know because I have no test. Um, it, where it, it says nitrate test on the soil test, it's blank. So they never even ran the test. We had on some of our ground 200, 300 pounds of nitrogen left over from last year. I don't know how we ended up with so much um, other than we were really dry and we have high organic matter levels and stuff. But anyway, so I'm a little frustrated by that. Uh, beyond that, I would say when we start talking about P and K, they're the next two nutrients that are needed the most. Your levels are already pretty good. 131 pounds, not parts per million, but pounds of phosphorus and 328 pounds of K2O potassium or actually of K, looks like K potassium. And we've got 4.4% base saturation K. So all those levels are, are decent. They're still recommending some P and K to be applied. Basically, it's maintenance and that's what they mark on here too. So I don't have any real big issue with that. Your sulfur's low, which we would always expect in a 10 CEC ground. It's a light soil. They put 29 pounds of sulfur down here. That's probably not bad. They made a recommendation for some boron and some zinc too. I don't have any real big problem with any of that. Uh, let's see. And then that other one was soybeans. Let's see. It looks like a soybean yield. Oh, wow. A soybean yield goal of 80 bushels. Um, you're going to need more K than what you got. You have 6.5% base saturation K, but it's only 402 pounds. That would equate to about 200 parts per million, and that's not going to do. That's not going to be enough. So their recommendation was 90 pounds of of potash. I'd probably go a little bit higher than that if it was me. Um, if you're if you're truly going after 80 bushel beans, so that'd be the one thing that I would say. Sulfur to well, and that that does just so, alarm uh, me though when he said their averages are 170 <clears throat> on corn and 50 on beans. Yet the recommendation they got back from the fertilizer supplier was for 200 bushel corn and 80 bushel beans. Okay, now that that it's good to talk about though, and and so. So it depends. For P, now, if you're trying right. to build P and K levels up and for zinc. the long term, that that's where Fine. you want to get to. Right. We understand that. But yes. if you're looking at raising this year's crop, those numbers are going to be a little excessive. Yeah. But, you know, the leachables, that's where you can use your best judgment and you can do some more testing as you get in season. Like on the nitrogen thing, you don't have to put 240 pounds out, nor should you put 240 pounds out. But you say, okay, potentially could I do this? Sure. So you kind of plan for it and, and then you go from there and see if you actually need it as you go along. Um, one other thing that I would say, he's pretty low in magnesium, 178 pounds in one test, 144 in another, and the base saturation magnesium is down around seven to eight. Yet there's no magnesium recommendation on the corn. Magnesium sulfate could be something in season that could really pay for you there in corn, especially maybe in soybeans, but definitely in corn. So I would consider that. One last thing, copper. Your copper levels, like in the soybean field, it's only 1.8 pounds. That's less than one part per million, which we would call really low. Yet there's no recommendation for copper to be applied at all. So we would tell you our preference would be that you put at least a little bit of copper out there. And just like zinc and phosphorus, you're not going to lose the copper. It's not going to leach out. Even in your relatively light soil, it's going to stay there for a long time. But get some more copper out. That's going to help you. Hey, one thing we were talking about yesterday when I was when Darren and I were working on training these agronomists I said please take really good notes during all of our training because you never know what things you might miss or or forget or whatever and then you need to review these things so for example last 
winter, Neil Kinsey was here at our Ag PhD Field Day site, and he did a three-day seminar on fertility. It was awesome. Well, I mean, a lot of the things that we talk about here on the show are things that Neil has talked about over the years. And I mean, I feel like I, I know fertility pretty well. But one of the things that he had observed is that when copper levels were over five parts per million, five parts per million, so that'd be 10 pounds per acre, that sudden death syndrome was virtually gone. And I was glad that I saw that again in my notes because I'd forgotten that he had said that. And some of these agronomists that were at our place over the last couple of days, they have problems with sudden death syndrome. And I said, hey, guys, here's something that you can, guys and gals, here's something you can try. And, I mean, this is what Neil talked about. And just try it. Try it on a small scale. See if this actually works. Because if it does, then here's a solution rather than, oh, I got to try to find some soybean that's great on this. And I have to plant later. And I got to use a seed treatment. I have to do all these things and still suffer yield loss. Why don't you just get the copper levels up? If that actually fixes the problem, awesome. All right. Thanks for the questions. Uh, I got this one in from Corey. He said, all right, first of all, uh, I farm in southeast Wisconsin. Love to learn from the resources you're providing. I've been wanting to test my soil for leftover nitrogen, as you've been talking about this, but my crop consultant insists it's a waste to test for it in our lighter soils because we get so much more rain that we should just consider nitrogen to be zero every spring. <laughs> now, geologically, no. I am assuming most of that nitrogen is going to be gone, but if so, why then do we consider nitrogen fertilizer plants differently following beans versus wheat if exactly. all the nitrogen is gone anyway? Exactly. You are 100% correct. Okay. So, and then the other oh, question but is... but we don't know. Light ground to one guy is different than light ground to another guy. So tell us your cation exchange capacity. If your cation exchange capacity is 15, that's whole different than if it's 3. And I don't think it's 3. So if it was 3, then I would assume the nitrogen isn't going to stay around because you could get a 3-inch rain at, you know, right before your crop needs that nitrogen and you just lost it. Okay, his other second question is, are there any fall herbicide applications you'd consider in my area? I farm just yep. north of Milwaukee. Yep. Pretty talk about a lot, but nobody seems to be doing it here. No, and the, the main reason why is I want you to think about when do you have the most time? It's usually not in the fall. A lot of times we're up against the weather, and our crop yields are so much greater than they used to be. And for many of us, we maybe haven't, let's say, upgraded the equipment as much as when dad was around, okay? So yeah, you put up a couple more bins and you got another truck or something, but but let's face it, we are spending more time harvesting now than we used to in a lot of cases because our equipment hasn't stepped up as much as our yields have. I mean, our yields are double. They're double what they were 20 years ago. Double! So do we really have twice the labor, twice the trucks, twice the everything? No, we don't. Anyway, um, that's the main reason why a lot of people don't spray in the fall. And the other big reason is they just haven't done it before. Once you start doing some, you'll probably continue to do it. Uh, there's a good farmer in North Dakota we were talking to yesterday who, I mean, he does a whole bunch every year, like thousands of acres, loves it, has never had a failure with it. Absolutely, we'd do it. So like going in front of soybeans, we'd say you could do fall valor or authority. Any of the yellows would be fine. That's all great. Going in front of corn, you could do a group 15 if you wanted to. I mean, you've got plenty of options. Hey, thanks for the questions and the feedback. We really appreciate your support. Thanks to you for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.